with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and we're back today to preview week two of the 2018 college football season and react to what we saw in a crazy weekend of college football. There were a lot of games that did not quite go as many expected, certainly not myself. So we'll unpack some of that today and get ready for round two this weekend. We begin things at the top of this week's show on Draft Buzz, where I chat with NFL Draft Insider Tony Pauline to give us the latest news and some injury updates coming out of week one. We got some unexpected news from one of the top players in the country. So Tony will update us on that and a whole lot more. After Draft Buzz, we'll then transition to Scouting Report, where this week I'll review my notes on one of my favorite players in this entire senior class, Debo Samuel from South Carolina. I love this kid on film. I'll explain why in that segment. After that, we'll go to Mr. Relevant, where this week I was really excited to be joined by Ben Solak from the Draft Network to talk about a lot of the top prospects out west in the Pac-12. Next up, we go to Saturday Scouting, where Ben Fennel returns from his double-dip road trip to Ohio State and LSU. We'll get an idea of where he's heading this week. Then we wrap things up on Draft Mailbag, where I'll take a question or two from you guys and answer them here on the show. We've got a ton going on this week, as always, so let's get things started with the latest and greatest surrounding the 2019 draft with our buddy Tony Pauline. It's time for Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Happy once again to be joined by my good buddy Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com. Tony, week one of college football is in the books. We've got plenty to react to. We've got some stuff we'll preview moving forward. But uh, first off, the biggest news is unfortunate news out of Washington where Huskies left tackle Trey Adams did not make the trip to play against Auburn. And a lot of people thought, oh, you know, is it the knee? Is he still not all the way back yet? He tore his ACL last fall. Then came the report post-game that it was a back injury. Head coach Chris Peterson said it could be lengthy in terms of his recovery. What have you heard, and what could this mean for his draft stock? A lot of people thought, you know, potentially he's a first-round, top-20 type pick. Is that in jeopardy at this point? Yeah, absolutely. Not only a first-round, top-20 type pick. Remember, some scouts had him graded as the top senior prospect in the nation. So uh, there were high hopes going in. I had heard over the weekend from multiple sources, it is a significant back injury, and they have not ruled out surgery. So he may need, I was not told exactly what the injury is, but I'm told there's a possibility he may need surgery to correct the situation. I was also told it's not something just, that just cropped up recently. It was something that kept him on the sidelines for most of August camp. So this seems to be a long-standing injury. Uh, obviously, you have to wait to see how it plays out. But the guy is six foot eight. He's three hundred thirty pounds. He comes off a season-ending knee injury. His season is basically pushed back, or season is in jeopardy because of a uh, of a back injury. Those are major red flags as we move towards the uh, 2019 draft, as far as Trey Adams is concerned. And, and it's a shame, but these things happen. Tony, is he a guy that's eligible for a medical red shirt? Is that something that's in play for him moving forward? And then he would be in the 2020 draft. Well, he could if he wanted to. As far as I know, he's only a fourth-year senior. But he, even if he plays less than three games this year, he could always petition the NFL, uh, the NCAA for a medical hardship. Now, whether he does that is another question altogether. He may may be fed up with the injury from last year and what's going on this, uh, what's happening this year with his back, and say, "Listen, I, I just want to get my professional career started. I want to get my income earning years started." You know. But again, with the back, if it's something that can be corrected and something that can be fixed and he doesn't play this year, I think it would be to his benefit to return. 
We're just going to have to wait and see what happens. But regardless, this is a red flag in the sense that it's something that come combine time, if he, in fact, is in the 2019 draft, both the knee and the back, especially the back, are going to be closely inspected. Because, like I said, six foot eight uh, or, or offensive lineman that is just about six foot eight, back injuries are not good. So Trey Adams misses the game against Auburn. Auburn goes on to win one of the more, uh, I would say, unexpected outcomes. At least from my standpoint, it was the, I had a, I had a rough game, a rough week in terms of uh, what I expected to happen in terms of these outcomes on Saturday and Sunday, but. Uh, as we talk about these performances from the first week of college football, what individual player performance, Tony, stood out most to you in week one? Who really flashed in terms of their potential and transitioning to the NFL? Yeah, well, when you talk about unexpected performances, in my opinion, the way Notre Dame handled Michigan yeah. for four quarters, uh, to me that was unexpected. I thought Michigan would was going to win the game. I thought Michigan would have really fight. But I was just so impressed with that Notre Dame defense. Everyone's going to talk about the Notre Dame quarterback, Wimbush, but that defense really shut down Michigan from the get-go. And there were any number of guys uh, who could have been named. Julian Love, the cornerback who we've mentioned on this podcast a couple times. Tavon Coney, uh, the uh, outside linebacker, he had a tremendous game. But Jerry Tillery, the defensive lineman, just really impressed me throughout the game. He had two tackles for loss, two sacks, which was the career best for a single game. He looked athletic. He looked explosive. Basically, he was forcing the action by getting penetration. He was commanding double-team blocks. I thought Tillery was just tremendous and really, uh, you know, Notre Dame in recent years, they've had a history of defensive linemen that come into the season highly regarded by scouts, and then they fail to meet expectations. Tillery, I thought, uh, really seems to be one who could break that trend has received from some uh, second-day grades from scouts and really looked like a top 45 pick. And the other guy, I was already in set for this podcast to say Tillery, but if you watch the game last night, Trayvon Hill of, uh, of, of Virginia Tech uh, really put on a show. I mean, three tackles for loss, two sacks. He was impossible to stop. Really fits that mold of what Virginia Tech has produced in the past, sort of that undersized edge rusher that causes a lot of disruption uh, off the line of scrimmage. He looked very athletic, making plays uh, down the uh, down the sidelines as well as outside the box. Uh, a guy that, a name to remember, when I did my Virginia Tech preview back in July, he was my number one prospect, number one NFL prospect out of the program. I think he only enhanced his draft stock, his, his standing with that performance last night. So I, I haven't watched Hill yet, but this is why I, like I enjoy Tony. You and I have known each other now for seven, eight years, and you know we're working together. I enjoy when we're on the same page. And two of the guys that I from this Notre Dame defense that I had in the top seventeen in terms of my senior prospect list were Tavon Coney, the linebacker from Notre Dame. I had him number seventeen, and then Jerry Tillery, the defensive tackle. And I agree. I was really, number one, I was very surprised with how Notre Dame and Michigan played out. I did not expect Notre Dame to handle them the way that they did, and that's a good sign for Brian Kelly's program moving forward. But those two defenders, Coney and Tillery, both really flashed at a high level in this game. I'm excited to go back and really study it. But watching it live, those two seem to be really dominant. 
I mentioned that I released my my list, my top 25 seniors going into the season over the weekend. And I know uh, you had a chance to pour over it, and I, I want to hear some of your your critiques. Obviously, you've looked at all these guys, and you've done so much research uh, from all of your contacts and all these players around the country. Overall thoughts uh, on terms of my, my top 25 list, how does it shake out? I mean, my personal opinion is, you know, you're much higher on Jalen Jelks than I am, but it's understandable why you would have him ranked as high as you do because he's a good pass rusher. I like the fact that you've got a, a good amount of defensive linemen. Zach Allen, you've got at number nine. I have him in just about the same area on my board. I would disagree with some of the uh, offensive linemen uh, that you have rated that highly. D, uh, Michael Dieter, Duran uh, Gray, I, I think they're Mitch Hyatt. I, I like those players, but I like them as second uh, second round, uh, second day type of prospects, uh, middle round guys. My opinion, you, if you take an offensive lineman high, or if an offensive lineman is rated high, is because they're very athletic. You can use them in a zone blocking scheme. They got great footwork. I, I don't see that with those guys. But you know what? Listen. It, 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 it's September. You could be right on the mark. I could be way off. We'll have to see what happens. And as we've, I've mentioned multiple times on this podcast, you know, the senior class is usually watered down because you have so many underclassmen who enter the draft in preceding years. And guys who would have been seniors this year are now playing in the NFL. You know, before the podcast, I went back and I, and I looked. I think a year ago, uh, Scouts had anywhere from four to five seniors. Just four to five seniors gave first-round grades uh, on that number, and nine seniors ended up going in the first round. So usually there's a few more seniors who end up in round, in the, in round one than are initially projected uh, when the season begins. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like a bunch of those guys, honestly, I, I think there were, what, there were 25 names. I'd be surprised if more than five or six will end up being first-round picks when it's all said and done. So, uh, yeah, if you, haven't, if you haven't seen that, go on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. You can go on our new draft page that just got revealed uh, this week. So all the updated draft content, video and print, and these podcasts will all be on our Draft Central page on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So you can go check that out. My top 25 list dropped over the weekend. All right. Tony, one last question for you before we get to our mock draft roundup. Uh, looking forward now to this week, there are a couple interesting games, not as many as we saw in week one, but I know you've got your eyes on, in the SEC, that main uh, CBS 330 game, Georgia-South Carolina. Anybody in particular you're excited to see in that matchup? Well, there's a lot of players. Uh, I mean, Debo Samuel, one of your favorite guys is gonna, uh, uh, from South Carolina, is going to be up against DeAndre Baker who uh, was given a first-round grade by scouts. Uh, a lot of people think he is the best senior cornerback in the country, will be the first senior cornerback drafted. It's going to be a great matchup between Debo Samuel of South Carolina and DeAndre Baker of Georgia. That's something to watch out. And Georgia's got another outstanding defensive back in J.R. Reed of uh, the, the safety, a guy who I have ranked just below DeAndre Baker. That's how highly I think of him. So I, I think that's, uh, that uh, matchup between Debo Samuel uh, of South Carolina, DeAndre Baker, Jared Reed of Georgia's want to watch. And don't forget, I mean, South Carolina has a, another very good receiver, a guy who's a third-year junior who's going to be drafted in the future, Brian Edwards. So uh, the, the, uh, the South Carolina passing game, obviously with Jake Bentley, a guy who I believe will be an early draft pick once he enters the draft, throwing to Brian Edwards and Debo Samuel. And against that, Georgia secondary is something you've got to concentrate on. And then another player that we talked about in this podcast in the past, Dennis Daly, the tackle from South Carolina. I have him rated as a uh, potential third, fourth rounder. Scouts have him as a second rounder. Very athletic guy, underrated, doesn't get a lot of print. 
He's going to be up against it. DeAndre Walker, the outside linebacker, pass rusher from Georgia, very good player. Jonathan Ledbetter, a guy who I think is underrated, the Georgia defensive end. Those guys are going to be going head-to-head against Dennis Daly. So there's a lot, it's a big game as far as the SEC is concerned. It's also a big game as far as NFL scouts are concerned when Georgia takes on South Carolina this weekend. Yeah, there are a few names there that I'm glad you brought up. I'm glad you brought up Brian Edwards because that kid can play. Or Trey Smith is a true sophomore there at receiver as well. They're they're really well coached, that whole receiving core. You can tell uh, they really work on fundamentals there uh, at the receiver position in South Carolina. And then uh, I agree with you in the trenches. And you go on the other side, uh, in that same kind of battle with the secondary and receivers, Terry Godwin looks like he's going to be back from injury this week against South Carolina. That's the Georgia receiver. He's a senior this year. Uh, Demetrius Robinson, who is a transfer from Cal, was just named eligible just before the season. He scored in a long uh, reverse. There was a long uh, touchdown run this past week in Georgia's opener. So we'll get to see them against those two senior corners for South Carolina, Keyshawn Nixon and Rashad Fenton. So that'll be a matchup, too, I'll be keeping an eye on. But, uh, Tony, before we let you go, uh, we've got a mock draft roundup this week. It's going to be from the Draft Network's Ben Solak, who actually is going to be joining us a little bit later on in the show. 32nd overall, he's got the Eagles picking. So he's got the Eagles winning the Super Bowl once again this year. Rodney Anderson, the running back from Oklahoma, he's, a, he's going to be a redshirt junior, so he's got another year of eligibility. But if he were to declare, how do you feel about his, uh, his value there on the back end of round one? I think it's a little bit early. Uh, I think he's more of a second-day guy. When I did my uh, Big 12 rankings, I believe he was my second or third highest uh, NFL prospect out of the Big 12. I graded him as a third-rounder. You know, he, he's off to a hot start, although they did play Florida Atlantic. Uh, Big 12 doesn't have uh, doesn't have any doesn't have really staunch defenses. I, I think the first round's a little bit early. I, I think if they're looking running back, you know, if we're, we're looking at a crystal ball and Damian Harris of Alabama still there, I think that's more the type of uh, back that the Philadelphia Eagles would look to. Well, you know how I feel about Damian Harris, and I believe he was in my top 10 in terms of senior prospects. Tony, once again, appreciate the time here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We will talk to you in this spot next week. Look forward to it. Great stuff from Tony, who you can follow on Twitter, at Tony Pauline. And by now, you know you can always follow me, at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the stuff I'm working on over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So things like Eagle Eye in the Sky, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, our Saturday scouting column, whatever X's Nose content you're looking for, there will be there as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or the Eagles mobile app. Our updated draft page just went live, so that's a good one-stop shop for our college football content, our NFL draft content, all through this fall and leading up to next April's draft. All right, let's keep things rolling here. I teased earlier that I would break down South Carolina wide receiver Debo Samuel, one of the top seniors in the country, at least based off who I've studied so far. He's the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Debo Samuel, six foot, 205 pounds, led the team last year with six total touchdowns but he only played three games. So it gives you an idea of how much of a game-breaker this kid can be. He was the co-MVP the year before as a sophomore when he led the team in catches. This kid is a game-breaker. Touched the ball eight times on offense last week in a blowout win over Coastal Carolina. Went for 67 yards and a touchdown. He's a two-year starter now, really a three-year starter in offensive coordinator Brian McClendon's scheme. Lined up at both Z and in the slot last year. He's got solid height, sturdy frame. He's built like a running back. He's explosive. He's quick. He's sudden. 
He's versatile. Definitely has the juice to provide an NFL offense with a dynamic kind of playmaker. Explosive with the ability to turn on the Jets and run by corners on the outside. He's got really quick feet with the ability to slip by a press corner very early in the down. He's an above-average route runner with impressive separation quickness. He'll snap off routes at the top of his stem, and he looks really smooth in and out of breaks. He's able to track the deep ball at a very high level. That was one of the things that stood out to me most on film. He appears to be pretty smooth at the catch point as well. Reeled in some really great one-handed catches throughout the course of his career. He was also used on jets and orbits as eye candy in the backfield, and that that playmaking ability definitely got the attention of defenses. He's very effective in the screen game as well. He can impact the game with the ball in his hands. He's got excellent stop-start ability and can make people miss in a crowd as well as out in space. Not just finesse, though, because this kid likes to lower his shoulder into a defender. He competes as a blocker as well, will run his feet on contact and tries to torque defenders when he's got control of them. This kid's a fun player to watch. Now, from a negative standpoint... Tends to fall step at times on his releases against off coverage. He won't necessarily always be known for his ability to win on contested throws, and he didn't have much success there in college, and he's not a great crack block player right now. But overall, this is a versatile game breaker who can line up in a number of spots and impact the game. I like him most from the slot, but I think he can play outside as well. Would love to see him get even better as a route runner because he'll never be a contested catch weapon, so he's got to win in the small man's game as a receiver. But I think he can be a starting wide out in an NFL offense as a potential game breaker on the outside or inside in the slot. So there's a lot to like about Debo Samuel. I'm excited to follow him as the rest of this 2018 campaign unfolds. All right, let's keep this show going, though. I was happy to be joined by Ben Solak from the Draft Network before action took place this weekend on Mr. Relevant. So let's talk about some of the top players in the Pac-12. Let's get that chat right now. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Really happy to be joined by Benjamin Solak from the Draft Network to talk about some guys out west in the Pac-12. Uh, let's first, Ben, just kind of start with with the Draft Network and, and a mm-hmm. new site that just launched uh, right before training camp started uh, with it, with college football. Tell us all about it, the mission statement, everything with uh, with the Draft Network. I'm really excited for all you guys. I mean, man, we're jazzed over here. It's a, it's a fantastic opportunity. The long and the short of it is uh, draft coverage was viewed as seasonal for the longest time. It's been exploding, obviously, as you know very well in the past 10 or 15 years, what have you. And we were kind of approached with people who said, listen, we, can, we think we can make this a year-round thing. We think you guys are the guys to do it, you know, to be able to comment on college football, on NFL, and then tie them, the two together. And then also illustrate how uh, NFL teams are constantly going through that process of reevaluating how they look at players and what they value in players, reevaluating their schemes and who will fit in them and who doesn't. The landscape shifts daily, right? With every every iota of film that you watch, you get better at learning how players fit. And so we want to cover that that changing landscape. You know, it's uh, be the expert is kind of the tagline that we throw on there as far as our operational statement. Because that's the opportunity that we think we like to be able to provide is, you know, you, you come to the site and you're able to use the, the mock draft machine to run mock draft simulations for all the teams. You're able to build your own big board and have all those players. You have all the prospect rankings and different evaluations from different evaluators. There's so many resources that it allows you to be prepared for this really interesting thing that maybe only happens over three days, but it's constantly happening over the year. So obviously, if you're uh, listening to this podcast, you're interested in the NFL draft. 
Ben is also an Eagles guy too, so you get a little bit of, of the of both flavors from yeah. that standpoint. And we're just again really excited for you guys. You know, John Ledyard and Trevor Sikama, Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, Connor Rogers, the whole group. I, I'm really excited for everybody. Brad Kelly, um, just everybody there. Really, really excited for all you guys. I'm excited to see all the content you guys do uh, in the first season. So. Let's just talk about some Pac-12 guys, uh, guys you're excited about as the season progresses. Um, I know one name that I know you're going to be attached to now moving forward because you've got a pretty hot take on it. I yeah. haven't watched this kid yet, but I've heard good things. He was on the Senior Bowl watch list when that got uh, released at the end of July or the end of August. Uh, JJ Arcega Whiteside, the mm-hmm. wide receiver from Stanford. All I know about him is that he's got a crazy basketball background. Both right. parents played basketball basketball overseas. Uh, I think his brothers played basketball. He's got a crazy basketball lineage, but obviously uh, making his living in the gridiron. Yeah, and you could have not not heard any of that background. Watch his game against Oregon or TCU and go, yeah, he played basketball. Because uh, a common complaint you hear with our Sega White side is that he doesn't elevate too much for the football when he's in contested catch situations. The reason is because he's typically boxed the corner in the mm-hmm. next week, right? He's got so many plays where you know it, it's it's unfamiliar and it doesn't fit a mold so it might be difficult to categorize but for me he's constantly putting his body in a place where he's protecting the football is kind of the best way to categorize it he'll take he'll put the corner on his back and stick him somewhere where he can't influence the flight of the football and even though he's not jumping up for those you know 50 50 sort of balls and it's that style of an idea he's still winning contested catches he's just winning them on the ground instead of in the air so it looks different but to me it translates really well and it's a unique skill you throw in the fact that he's a, a very clean route runner. He's got good burst with long strides, right? Not a stellar athlete, but clearly an NFL level above average style of athlete. And then what really impresses me is that the, the, the awareness that he has to find the ball very quickly and to, and to get that corner on his back translates into yards after catch. He's very, very heady in space, even though he's not the best change of direction guy. So he's making people miss. He's setting up good angles. He's very quick, you know, on curl routes, on in routes to immediately cut back the other way and get safeties with bad angles. There's a lot of hidden yardage he picks up because he's a very, very detailed player. That's so, a basketball thing, too. The yeah. spatial awareness, without question. Right, and translates. so some injuries, some bad quarterback play in Stanford. So there's been good stats when he's on the field, but the, the season-long stats don't necessarily look as strong as he misses a few games here and there. KJ Costello, the new quarterback there, right. a redshirt sophomore, you know, uh, replacing Keller Christ, loves to just hang it out there for him deep. You know, Christ wasn't as, as willing to just say, Arcega Whiteside, go get the football. Costello loves to do that. So Arcega Whiteside's got a lot of opportunity this year to rise. I'm really excited about watching him grow. So with one oversized Stanford Cardinal to an extremely undersized Stanford Cardinal yeah. with uh, Bryce Love, who's obviously the bigger name, going to be a Heisman finalist, you would almost think has to be this year, uh, was a, a year ago. Crazy numbers taken over for Christian McCaffrey last year as a junior. Uh, a lot of people surprised that he didn't uh, enter the previous draft. That he didn't enter the 2018 draft. Went back. I'm glad he went back because you get to see another year of a full workload for this kid. Yeah. Uh, very much undersized, like I said. He's you know in that 5'8", 200-pound soaking wet kind of frame. <laughs> What are your thoughts overall on the way that his game will translate to the NFL? It's really, really interesting, and it's tricky. You, you, you identified well, I think, that there's a conversation already being had with what Bryce Love looks like as a multi-contract year player because he went back to school in part, and, and this was a, a kind of a storyline at Pac-12 Media Days as well. He's very oriented on his education. He's in the medical field. And there's a lot of you know very acceptable conversation, which is simply that he looks like he's really interested in a career outside of football. Mm. And, you know, it's not a bad thing, but it's something that teams are going to be looking no at and question. considering because if he's a one-contract player, that 
depreciates his value a little bit. But if we're talking solely the on-field product, yeah, Bryce Love's ability to hit home runs is special. And and there's a, a, a big focus recently in the analytic community on the value of explosive plays, right? And 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 the lack of value for a general running game. So if you have a running back who whose knacky thing is hitting home runs, that translates really well to what a lot of analytical minds think adds value to an NFL team. From an evaluator perspective, I'm still looking at some of Bryce's runs. And to me, when he's working in the first or the second level, he isn't necessarily as bursty of a guy as you see when he's in space. Sometimes I think his vision does poorly for him, and he looks to cut back earlier than I think that he should. And he goes very well for uh, broken tackles on like a PFF grading scale. But to me, I don't see fantastic contact balance, whereas you have some other 185 guys, Miles Gaskin out of Washington, Justice Hill out of uh, Oklahoma State, and then David Montgomery out of Iowa yep. State. Crazy contact balance. Love doesn't have that. So you, you start to wonder, is this exclusively a space player? And if he is, there's not a big receptions profile. You know, you don't know what he looks like on swings and sure. screens and stuff like that. So excellent college player, really good at what he does well. I love the home runs. I do have questions about the wholeness of the evaluation moving forward. So you mentioned him, and I'll bring him up, is Miles Gaskin, who uh, similar frame. You know, the mm-hmm. body type is very similar uh, with Bryce Love and Miles Gaskin. Now, I haven't watched Miles Gaskin off of 20. 20- 17 film yet i watched him going into last year so his 2016 film i like love more than gaskin based off of those two evaluations uh, love from last year and gaskin the year before but how do you compare those two i you you could flip a coin I think like if you put a gun to my head right now, it would probably be Gaskin solely because I know I can get receiving stuff out of him sure, a little better. Yep. Then again, you know, you give me a workout with Bryce Love, you let me throw him the football a few times, maybe he changes my mind. I just haven't seen it on tape. Yep. Uh, what really excites me about Gaskin is that that divorce between upper body and lower body. When you see a running back who can really slalom ski his way through space where his hips are just super low to the ground, he's running through those tough angles, that's a really nice change of direction profile that I like to see, especially for my space players which is what Miles Gaskin projects to be. And like I said, the receiving profile, you saw him taking wheel routes, you know, taking those bus routes, going up the seam, all that stuff Washington asks him to do, and he's a pretty decent receiver down the field. There's size concerns. There's vision concerns the same way with, with Love, where he's going to be a guy who wants to cut it against zone flow and get backside and go against space instead of just taking the dirty yardage. So I like the receiving profile a little better, but what we've seen in preseason evaluations is that Love – Gaskin and then Justice Hill, who I mentioned out of Oklahoma State, kind of all fit this similar mold. It's going to be tricky to figure those guys out, you know, before the season. We'll have to see who separates themselves in 2018. So one of the guys that's opening up holes for Miles Gaskin is Trey Adams, the mm. the oversized left tackle uh, for the Huskies. You know, just under six foot eight. He's over 330 pounds. He's got NFL length. He's got NFL feet. He's coming off the ACL injury, so he missed half the year last year. But this is a really talented player uh, from what I've seen so far. What are your thoughts overall from what you've seen? Ah, uh, man. Trey Adams' tape sneaks up on you a little bit because you're watching it and you're waiting for the first-round player you've heard about, right? You're waiting for some stellar play, incredible finish, you know, some just absolute highlight reel sort of play, at least the best you can get from an offensive tackle. And you realize you never really get that, and, and you might trick yourself into being a little disappointed, but when you get into the nitty-gritty of just his constant reps, he's so smooth. Mm. He's so controlled. It's and, how I feel about Jonah Williams. Yeah. It's a similar kind he's of way. so yes. consistent, right? Yep. And, and, and 
what's crazy about Adams is it, you watch him move and then you remember he's like six seven three thirty yeah, yeah, something sure. and that's just silly you know what I mean I, I I struggled to come up with a good comparison for him I've seen Taylor Lewan I don't particularly like that one too much I remember watching Ryan Ramchick's tape out of Wisconsin and what mm. struck me about him was how smooth and controlled he was mm. Adams isn't as quick he's definitely more powerful and what I like about Adams is he's very willing to let you come to him, let you try to throw what you want to throw because he knows he can handle everything. It's very difficult to bait him into making an over-aggressive mistake, super mm. patient. And I think that translates really nicely to the NFL because he's very controlled, he's very calm, he's very poised, and rookie tackles can get really up in their own heads. And so I like that mental aspect of Adam's game a ton. I'm interested to see him test because, yeah. like I said, he's big. And his game is being smooth. Obviously, I want to see that ACL come back and be steady. I don't think he'll test great with quickness, which may turn off a lot of you know zone teams like i don't know if the eagles could take him out there and ask him to pull and you know get into space or whatever but if you're just simple a lot of pass protection reps letting to move some people he should be just fine for you so i would be remiss if i didn't bring up a guy that uh, i know you're a fan of you know i'm a fan of everybody that listens to this podcast knows i find a way to bring him up every single week because i'm a big fan of him uh jalen jelks the pass rusher from oregon uh, and I say pass rusher because yep. he was used up and down the line. Uh, I know early last year, spent a lot of time as like a four-eye or a five-technique lined up right across the tackle, sometimes even as a three. As the year progressed, it seemed like you saw more and more reps of him mm-hmm. lining up off the edge. I feel like that's where he kind of fits. What are your thoughts overall? Share your, your evaluation uh, of Jalen Jokes. Yeah, Jokes gets me excited. He's a fun, interesting player. You don't find a lot of bodies like Jokes. And yeah. so already, as an evaluator from the jump, you're thinking, what can I do with this guy, right? Like, what can I make him up to be? Did you, uh, uh, Dane Brugler had a piece on him. I don't know if you read it. I haven't read it yet. The Athletic. Great one. Obviously, Dane, excellent evaluator. Of course. But uh, talking with Jokes, Jokes said when he was on the scout team, uh, he was regularly around 270, just mm-hmm. playing interior. And then once he started, uh, you know, filling a different role there in that Jim Levitt off uh, defense, excuse me, he started cutting down to now his current weight of 245. He needs to be back up closer to 255, 260 for sure mm-hmm. uh, to be, have a nice NFL projection. And so if that 270 was like a good weight, because Jelks is a really lean frame, yep. if that 260, 270 was a good weight, this is fantastic news. And from what I understand, he's bulked up coming into this year. He's a lot more angular, especially up in the top half, which is something he needed in a big way. Now, if you line him up on the outside more and you, and you allow him to work a rush plan more and he gets that experience that he desperately needs, we can take those raw tools that you and I both love, that quickness, that length, right? First, that, that, no that, question. that yep. motor. And you can start to teach him how to, you know, he says, oh, I like my arm over move. Well, let's get him an inside swim. <laughs> let's get him a spin move. Let's get him everything because he has the frame to execute it. And I think he has the mind for it too. So this season is huge. You know what I mean? This, as far as we're talking about risers, jokes can be a huge one. If the frame, if he carries the weight well and you give him the opportunity to rush more, he's got every tool you need yep i think we've we've had tony pauline on the show uh every week in the first episode since we came back this summer i asked him you know what are, what are scouts saying and he said mid-round pick and i think he's got the ability for sure to yep. be top end first round like i think he's got that potential uh to go up that high i'm really excited to watch him this year uh really hoping he's taking that next step in development my thing is like, he maybe it's the tape of a mid-round pick but he could do nothing this year and you're going to have him test the way he's likely yep. going to test at the size at which he's going to be for NFL teams, and he's an edge rusher, they're going to want to pick yep. him. You know what I mean? Even if he does nothing. so Didn't play football until his, I want to say it was his sophomore or junior year of high yeah, school. Yeah, he was going to be a basketball, basketball star. player. Yep, yep. exactly. So uh, really, really high on that kid and what he can bring to the next level. Let's look at uh, his teammate, uh, Justin Herbert, who's going to be a junior mm. quarterback. Um, very talented player. Uh, 
I am hoping. Look, he's going to come in this year. You hope that he's going to take the next step as a passer. Uh, kind of an injury-shortened season last year. Missed a good chunk of the season. I hope he participates this year and then goes back. A lot of people seem to think he will go back. I hope he's he's there for two more years. Mm-hmm. But this kid's talent is through the roof. I like some I, some of the throws that he made were outstanding. He's got I love his arm talent. He's athletic. He's got light feet. But more importantly. I love that he's willing to make like those tight window throws. Yeah. He comes off to me as a guy that when it's like third and long, like he wants the ball. They're in the red zone. It's a must have. I want the ball. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to make this throw. And I love that mindset. Oh, absolutely. I think that I get flashes. It's not a comparison, but I get flashes of stuff that I remember Stafford used to do uh, when he was young in the sense that, you know, Stafford knew he had a big arm. Stafford knew he could extend plays a little bit. And he was like, all right, this is a big down screw it here we go like you know balls in my hand he has that mentality herbert can sling it yeah i mean he makes a couple plays a game where you re- you roll it back like that's just silly man and and we were talking with costello herbert's very willing to push it down the field mm. which is a huge huge trade you know he's i've got a speedy receiver in dylan mitchell on the outside i'm gonna chuck it here we go mm. like you know he's, he's willing to let his players make plays for him with herbert right now you know you turn on that boise state film uh, obviously coming yes. back from injury yep. a little bit you know shaky mentally uh Boise coming out there with a with a fast flowing defense man pressure got under his skin early and he was not able to shake it we had some bad interceptions missing yep. underneath zone defenders that's my huge question mark for Herbert right now it, you know processing is kind of the big umbrella that we use like sure. how does he process yeah. but if we were to get more narrow with it when you start to fluster him with pressure, can he identify where that's coming from? Get quickly to his hot reader. He likes to push it deep. But you got to be willing to throw it short when it's time to. And there'll be some reps. You know, he he can move in the pocket well, but there'll be some reps where pressure's coming and he's just a statue. You can tell he kind of freezes a little bit. That comes normalized with playing time with reps. It was a sophomore who was injured, yeah. right? So we expect to see steps forward there. I think if he takes step forward in his junior year. He's going to be talked about as one of the top quarterbacks. He's going to be, no it's a pretty weak class. I would not be surprised if he came out as a junior, right? He may be thinking going back now, but when you're a quarterback, you know you're going to be drafted at a premium, and if you don't have much competition in the class, which to me, he's a top three quarterback in the class already. Yep. You know, I I, I think we could see him in the 2019 draft for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he decides to do. Every year, there are teams that have so much talent at certain positions where it's almost a daunting task. To say, all right, I'm going to go and I'm going to watch. Like I know a few weeks ago. It took me an entire weekend to get through the Alabama front seven because it's like, all right, yeah. well, Raquan Davis and Isaiah Bugs and Terrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings and uh, Mac, Mac Wilson, Wilson yeah. and all you, know, you start going on and on and on. Christian Miller, you know, Jamie uh, uh, Jamie Mosley, Washington secondary is that, and I haven't gotten to it yet, yeah. so I know I know the names. You tell us the, the big names, who you like the most, why it's so intriguing. Listen, I, I dropped four scouting reports on their starting four and got yelled at for not having their fifth corner, <laughs> right? It was like, where's Jordan Miller? I was like, the guy was injured all last year. I don't yep. know what you want me to do. All right, Taylor Rapp's the big name. He's the safety. Because uh, yep. he came in freshman All-American safety 2015, right? Yeah, unbelievable season then. Uh, they let him do more free safety stuff in 2015, and he was good at it. 2016 and 2017, he started playing more in the box. And so a lot of Washington fans and college football analysts want him back at that free safety because he had much better production there. He's only had, I think, one INT for the past two years. No, one in the past season, excuse me. But the thing is, when you evaluate him for the NFL, he doesn't have elite range. 
And so really you're looking more at a split safety guy who should make a home in the box and you can play him in a deep half if you want to. Rapp's one of the best tacklers you're going to find in college football and he knows when to pick his spots to lay the wood, right? He'll come up and hit you, but he doesn't try it for every time. He's not just a safety who's playing with his head on fire. You know, he'll know when to break down in space, which is really, really good awareness. I I worry about his playmaking ability because like I said, low interceptions, low pass breakups, but he has a knack for popping the ball loose. You know, he gets his helmet Mm -hmm. in there. He gets there late on reps, so I really like that. The name that Gets slept on, however, is Miles Bryant. He plays the nickel for them. What year is he? Yeah, he's gonna, he's a junior cornerback. Okay. And now when Jordan Miller, their other their outside corner, went down, he moved to the outside. All of a sudden, he had to face like Nikhil Harry and he had to face Arcega White side right, and everything. No. Man's one seventy five. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? One eighty. Impossibly quick. Just stupid. Just you 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 think you you accidentally made the video go too fast and you have to check the playback speed. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And then his willingness to play downhill and his awareness, uh, uh fantastic. You know, when you see uh, an offense run the same play twice and you catch a player, figure it out. Yep. Uh, uh uh fourth down Arizona State converts on a little screen to Nikhil Harry, and then it's a key third down later in the game, same formation, and Miles Bryant sniffs it out, tackle for loss, puts him in a fourth down situation, just knows what he's doing out there. So he's a a lot of fun and then byron murphy who's there uh you know a huge recruit four-star corner he's coming into his redshirt sophomore season okay. only played six games last year and i think he had like four interceptions across them Rut- <laughs> rutgers he's playing he's playing a deep third okay. in the rutgers game and he's going wherever the heck he wants because he knows every route combination he knows that quarterback's looking and he's just jumping routes left and right very instinctive player very marcus petersy back when he was okay. there in washington right. and as far as I'm going to play with my eyes in the backfield. I'm going to go make plays everywhere across this field. So it's a lot of fun watching that secondary. So uh, the only note I've got is that back in the, I guess it was the 2017 draft, uh, I was at the Combine, Mm -hmm. Sidney Jones, Kevin King, Buda Baker, I go and I talk to all three, and I say, you know, who I like doing this, getting getting these like little bits of info from guys at the Combine. Hey, who's who's next? Who's coming up? Who are the young guys? All three of them said Taylor Rapp first. Oh yeah, so they, they were all big fans. They were like talking about him as a kid, and they all they, they all were big. No, fans, I was so. I was talking with somebody in the Washington program who said that right now, you know, obviously nobody in that class is a senior yet, so they wouldn't put them up against those three. Yeah. But they were saying like if we get if they said Miller and we get Byron Murphy and Taylor Rapp and 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 Miles Bryant, and that secondary could be better than than the Sidney Jones, Kevin King, Buda Baker secondary ever was. That's uh, about three top fifty picks. Yup, pretty good. <laughs> All right, well, Ben, uh, this was fun, man. We'll have to have you on again soon. Appreciate the time here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. No, absolutely, man. I'm a long-time listener, first-time guest, so it was a pretty cool opportunity for me, man. Thank Thank you. you. Yep, thanks, man. Great stuff there from Ben Solak. Hopefully we can get him back on the show again very soon. Before we transition, though, to our next segment, you guys know how much I love it when you tweet out the show or you post about it on Facebook. It's great support. I love you guys all for it. What we love most here, though, is when you take a minute and you head over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, you give us a rating or even leave us a comment. I wanted to give some love to Manic 21 who went on Apple Podcasts last week and gave us that five-star rating, commented saying how much he loved the podcast and enjoyed all the scouting report segments on the show. So thanks to Team Manic and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our offerings here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, it's about that time. Let's welcome in Ben Fennel. Look at some of the top matchups to watch this weekend in college football. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Time to welcome in my friend Ben Fennel, who you can follow on Twitter just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Ben Let's get things started. You were at Ohio State, Oregon State. 
this past Saturday. And I know one guy that you really want to start talking about, they lose JT Barrett, the 19-year the starter there for the Buckeyes. <laughs> uh, he's gone to the NFL now. So Dwayne Haskins takes over. You were pretty impressed with what you saw from him against the Beavers. Yeah, definitely. It was a fun game. Ohio, Ohio State really cruised 77-31. It was a funny game with the rain at halftime. Yeah. We were really unsure if they were going to come back out. What is that like in the truck when something like that happens? It's just a waiting game. You have no idea. Uh, and we have different rules for our broadcast team and cameramen as far as when you're allowed to be back out on the field with lightning and things as opposed to the stadium and the school. Mm. So there's some scenarios where the school is going to allow some players to come back out, but ESPN wasn't allowing our cameramen to go back out. Huh. So we were preparing for doing a broadcast with about one or two cameras if we had to. Wow. So those are just some of the things going on in the truck. And it was very interesting. Ryan Day, his first first day in his life he's ever been a head coach and sure. he has to deal with you know a halftime delay and on top of everything else he dealt with just you know uh dealing with all the circumstances at Ohio State sure. and you know uh managing the team and the offense the quarterbacks the whole deal but it's a new era in the backfield at Ohio State Dwayne Haskins really blew me away this kid's big he's strong he's How six big three is he? okay. he's about six three just a shade under 220 he okay. looks the part really zipping the ball in pregame warm-ups he, he just looks the part I mean he's a good looking kid and I want to say after this performance I think he may be the best pocket-passing, distributing quarterback Ohio State has had since maybe Craig Krenzel. Now we're talking Troy Smith, Terrell Pryor, JT Barrett, Cardell. A lot of players in there with some athleticism, not true quarterbacks, not true players that had the intent to distribute and get all these athletes involved. And that's what Dwayne Haskins is. He's a pocket passer that looks to throw first. He has some athleticism, but he doesn't rely on it. And you just saw that in the game with a strong arm. He could drive the ball down the field. He could drive the ball outside the numbers. He's got a quick release on RPOs, great ball handling on play action things. And You, you know, love the ball handling. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And all the action in the backfield. His worst play was a shuffle pass to the running back that just got a little stuck in his hand. Sure, okay. But if that's the worst in his debut with Ohio State, you know, we can tolerate that. He was accurate throughout the day at five touchdowns, one interception on an overthrow late in the game, but okay. 300 yards. There was even an instance where they brought in Tate Martell to run a little zone read package, just a little bit of a different scheme with the offense. First and second down didn't go great. They bring in Haskins on third down, picks up the first down with his arm, and it just shows the confidence that mm. Ohio State has in him to bring him back out on third down and, and move the sticks with his arm. Interesting. So we, we talked a lot last week about – that defensive line from Ohio State. I know uh, you're on the sideline, you see their pregame, and you go over to Larry Johnson's group, the, the defensive line, just to watch those guys warm up. General impressions from you know from Bosa and then my guy, a guy I'm really, really high on, uh, Draymond Jones, from seeing them in person and then watching them in the game. Yeah, it's great to watch that group close up because they're just loaded with four and five stars that you don't even know about yet. They're freshmen, red shirts, so just great to watch the whole group warming up without numbers or anything. You're just looking at body types. Obviously, I know who Draymond and Nick Bosa are, but just to look at the collective group and the things that they warm up with are exactly what you see on tape in, in the film and during mm-hmm. the games. Hand usage, hand usage, hand usage. They must have warmed up and practiced different hand usage techniques and uh, drills before the game that you just see on the field consistently from from guys like Joey Bosa and now the guys like Nick Bosa Mm. and Draymond Jones and Robert Landers and all these young guys like Chase Young and uh, Cornell. So it's just great to see how they warm up and how it uh, applies into the game. And 
violent, violent, active hands from Nick Bosa. You saw it all day against mm-hmm. those poor offensive linemen at Oregon State. They were <laughs> overmatched. Nick Bosa was in the backfield several times, two sacks, two TFLs. Then he scooped up somebody else's sack fumble for a touchdown. I see that, yep. Uh, so just a, a big day for Ohio State. And they overmatched the Oregon State offensive line. That offense is kind of rebuilding and finding their way. And uh, it was just great to see Ohio State up close. Jones, impressive. I know you sent me, though. I saw the one play they made the hustle play. Uh, how else did he impress you? Yeah, uh, Draymond Jones, he just looks prototypical three-tech in the NFL. He's long. He carries his weight really well. He's just a shade under 300 pounds, about 285. Rushes the passer from that outside shade of the guard very well, the three-tech spot. Can bend and dip and has some clever hand usage with push pulls and uh, different bull rushes, speed to powers. Moves very well for his size. He's just a little uninspiring in the run game. Mm. Can play a little high at times. I like him more than I liked R.J. McIntosh last okay. year at Miami. Yep, but it's that. that similar style player that Gerald McCoy, I think, is his ideal upside comparison. I compared right him now. to uh, Sheldon Richardson last uh, last summer. Exactly. One yeah. of you know one of those defensive tackles that are almost too athletic to hang in the trenches. You mm. just see that flash on tape, beating a lot of guys with uh, his agility. So I know you were impressed with both running backs in the game as well. Yeah, that's both running backs, one for Ohio State and mm-hmm. one for Oregon State, not mm-hmm. just both Ohio State running backs. Kind of an off day for J.K. Dobbins. It was really Mike Weber's day. Uh, he was tough. He was downhill, good jump cuts, vision, a lot of powers and counter sweeps. He's not great in those slow-developing read option plays. You really just want to get mm-hmm. him moving quickly and downhill. 20 carries, 186 yards, breakaway speed. Coming into the season, I didn't think he did anything exceptionally. But he was about a B-plus, A-minus across the board in everything he does on the field from pass protecting, catching the ball. So he's not someone that's going to wow you or wow the scouts. But he's a solid, just blue-collar running back. That there's, can, a pay, there's a place for those guys in Absolutely, NFL. and yeah. I think the team got a little excited with the juice of Dobbins last year. He's got a little more explosiveness, a little better contact balance and wiggle for the big plays. But Mike Weber's a great player. And the other running back you mentioned – 11 carries, 168 yards, two touchdowns for Oregon State junior Artavis Pierce. That included an 80-yard touchdown and a 78-yard touchdown against Ohio State's defense, which is nothing to, to slouch at with the speed of uh, you know the players on that defense. No question. The home run speed was obvious, but Oregon State's rebuilding. They're not going to be any good this year. They're going to be awful. He's going to get you know caught in the wash of the Pac-12 and the late games he's not going to get a lot of attention from the national media and fans he's going to get overlooked but just remember that name if he decides to come out as a junior this year he's one of those players that's going to be on a bad team but he's got a lot of tools and traits that could translate to the next level yeah and even was slept on last year because he had Ryan Nall who was in, in last year's draft who's kind of got the bulk of the carries for that team uh so what we're going to do every week and we're going to have two of them this week because you're at two games but I want to give. I want to get a one play takeaway, and we're, I, as many times I'm going to try and come up with little things for for each week. One play that you really walked away from that game that you'll kind of remember as the draft process kind of unfolds. What was the one play from Ohio State, Oregon State that'll kind of stick in your mind? Yeah, there was a play on the opening drive for Oregon State. They hit a couple big plays, and it was about a 40, 45 yard run uh, for Oregon State's offense, and you just see number 86 down by the pile down the field and that's Draymond Jones (laughs) so I rolled the tape back and tracked him from his three tech spot where he rushed the passer it was a run play or a quick pass out to the perimeter is actually what it was but you just see the effort and the hustle which you saw from Draymond as a true freshman you see it last year and just to see that 285 pounds move up and down the field it's it's a sight to see and the athleticism was on full display on that play so you get on a flight immediately after 
uh, that game and exactly, you head down, yeah. to, head down go, to Dallas. Go from Columbus with a couple travel hiccups with the, uh, the weather in Columbus that day. Got down to Dallas for an uh, a interesting matchup, LSU-Miami. All right, so tell me, uh, I know you were excited to see just all the turnover with LSU every single year. You were excited to see some of these new guys, and you got to see two of them in that LSU backfield. You got uh, quarterback Joe Burrows. You got the running back Nick Bursett. Uh What did you see from both of those guys? Yeah, some new faces in the backfield. I think this is five of the last six years LSU has started a new quarterback to That's start the ridiculous. season. It's Just crazy. been a revolving door, and they're hoping to bring a little bit of stability with Joe Burrows. He has two years of eligibility, Ohio State transfer. If you're going to stat sheet scout, he didn't do anything that wowed you. Wasn't huge numbers, didn't throw for many touchdowns, but he played efficient all game. He protected the ball. He managed the game. He played awesome, in my estimation. If you're just going to look at the stats you know, at the end of the year and look back on this game, it wasn't anything you know, over the top. Yeah. But he converted third downs time and time again. A lot of in-breakers, some slants, some RPOs. Had a really nice dagger concept. Didn't push the ball in the intermediate and deep uh, passing windows too often. Mm. Anything outside the numbers really fades. One-on-one jump balls, low percentage, kind of risky throws. Uh, but no turnovers, no interceptions. They protected him very well. He got hit on a third down in the first quarter where both edge rushers, Joe Jackson, John Garvin, pushed him forward to Gerald Willis, took a big hit. And I think the offense said at that point, we're not going to let Miami's defensive line ruin this game for us. So they went to a lot of seven-man pass protections, sure up the pocket, yep. give Burroughs time to make reads and throws down the field. And they kept him upright most of the game, and, and Burroughs looked great. Interesting. So, and Bursette, I know uh, you were interested to see what he would bring to the table yeah, as well. Yeah, Nick Bursette was outstanding. A, a fantastic debut considering he's been on that team for four or five years, stuck behind the likes of you know Leonard Fournette, Darius Geis, Darrell Williams. He was very highly touted running back out of high school. Some ridiculous 140-plus touchdowns as a high school running back. He's got vision. He's got toughness. He pass protects. He blocks really well. There's a lot of plays where they try to get both running backs out on the field, so he'll do some blocking as well uh, for other players. You didn't see him much in the pass game, but he just ran really physical, had some good jump cuts, vision, got downhill, and I just liked what Ed Ogeron said at halftime and reiterated after the game to Holly Rowe. He's the same guy that he's yeah. been since day one at LSU. Sure. He's an LSU Tiger through and through. He's paid his dues being behind some very talented players like Leonard Fournette and Darius Geis. But this is who they expected to, to play on the field. Nick Brissett is a very talented running back. Don't think because he got stuck behind those players that he's any lesser of a running back. It was just kind of the pecking order of a very talented group. Sure, and one guy who didn't necessarily have to wait his turn uh, is the linebacker on the other side of the field, uh, Devin White for LSU, and a guy that a lot of people are really, really excited about based off what he put on film a year ago. What did you see from him in person here in week one? Uh, he's had, as advertised, he looks great in t-shirt and shorts. He just looks the part in his jersey. He's athletic. He's fast. He's got short area bursts. Still not exactly sure if he knows what he's doing. He doesn't diagnose very well. His instincts are leave a little bit to be desired. But once he sees it, look out. Like, is he, where, where would you grade him on like freak show level of athleticism? Is he like top shelf? Is he, I think, like, where does he rank? In I scale? think he's as intriguing as Terrell Edmonds, or excuse me, Tremaine Edmonds was last year, okay. which had similar issues. Yeah, a little right. bit late in instincts, just a tick late in his reads. But the second he saw it, he's going to blur across your screen, high on the sideline, and he's going to finish tackles. I think Devin White's a little bit more of a prototypical linebacker. He's thicker. He was a high school running back. Mm. He's a little more violent and physical. And I think some of the most impressive play from Devin White is just watch this guy run down on kickoff. 
You just want to see him run 60 he's yards. He's kickoff? A, he's on kickoff. Okay. He's on some punk coverages. I like that. And yep. it's just in, very impressive to watch that guy move down the field in the open field. Uh, quickly, Greedy Williams looks the part. Uh, he is absolute freak show. <laughs> he is long. I mean, this guy's arms and are hanging close, almost down to his knees. Yep. Uh, he was the one that kind of stirred things up in pregame warm-ups as the DBs jogged around the field and had some words for the Miami Hurricanes. And I don't think either of those rosters are really backing down when someone starts talking. Oh, you're poking the beehive. Yeah, exactly. Point. All right, so uh, talking quickly about Miami, two guys in the front seven I know you were excited about. Uh, Gerald Willis, defensive tackle, uh, transfer, and then Shaq Quarterman, who's been there, feels like, for seven or eight years now with all those other uh, linebackers for the Hurricanes. Yeah, starting with Gerald Willis, the Florida transfer with a lot of off-the-field issues. Uh, It's not malicious off-the-field things. He had some personal stuff going on, and he really wasn't focused on football, wasn't sure if he still wanted to play. But uh, Manny Diaz said he's been their best defensive tackle all camp, one of their best players on the team. He's got that one-step explosion, which you're looking for from defensive tackles. If you think you're going to cut him off on the backside, he'll make every play on you. Hmm. You just can't reach him. You can't cut him off. He'll get into a gap right away. He's got bursts for a defensive tackle to close on ball carriers and quarterbacks. He's, got a, he's athletic. He's got light feet. However, I think he wore down a little bit in the game. He needed to manage his snap count just a tad, which we see quite often from college defensive tackles, stud defensive tackles yep. that try to take on a little bit of a higher snap count than probably. Chris Wilson talked about on the show last week. That probably their bodies can't handle sure. first game of the season as well, so the conditioning is going to be tested. And then Shaq Quarterman, who's been on the field day one as a true freshman. All three of those linebackers, really, but Quarterman, I think, is the cream of the crop. Uh, also talking McLeod and Pickney. Yep. But Quarterman played outstanding despite the collective efforts and performance of the defense in general. Had a bunch of really good pressures in the backfield, a bunch of really good run stops. He could turn and run in coverage very well. Interesting. Defended Foster Moreau down the seams on a couple plays. And if you had noticed on the long touchdown from Bursette, I think he had a – I'm not sure what the total was, but it was his, his breakaway run, touchdown. Yeah. Yep. It was actually the backup linebackers in the game. So don't be confused and think that, you know, just because they gave up a lot of gra- yards on the ground that the linebackers struggled. Make sure you're paying attention to who was in the game. Not really sure why they came out. It might have just been a natural rotation, that next drive, you know, this worked in the second unit. But I didn't see those backups in the game from that point on. One play takeaway, LSU-Miami. It's a play that's been popular around the Internet. Uh, actually, Percet had another long run right down to the goal line okay. and was able to punch it in. And it's been a funny clip going around the internet where uh, left tackle Shadiq Charles of LSU was blocking Jaquan Johnson and Joe Jackson at the same time. Not great. Not great. <laughs> and my takeaway isn't so much as a compliment to Shadiq Charles, who did his job on the play, but more of speaking to how unimpressed I was with Joe Jackson and Jaquan Johnson throughout the game. Literally let one player block two on the goal line. And that just represented their play in general. I thought Jaquan Johnson had one of one of his worst games that I've seen from him. I know we, we watched him last uh, start the season, yep. watched some of his tape last year. Looked really good in the Wisconsin game. They liked to roll him down to the box, even though he's a bit of an undersized, for lack of better words, a Tyron Matthews style of safety where he's small, but he's he's a spark plug. Yep. Missed a lot of tackles, goes and tries to throw way too many elbows at ball carriers, won't wrap up. Um, I kind of liked Redwine a little bit more, the other safety. Like I think they're very, very comparable. They do slightly different things, but I, I think I liked Redwine a little bit and more. And it's funny you mention that because uh, Manny Diaz mentioned in the production meeting to our, our talent group that they then uh, relayed to us, and he said Jaquan Johnson was an All-American, got a lot of attention, 
But Redwine was just as good of a player, and he thinks he has just as much upside and potential at the next level. Yeah, I think Redwine, like I said, I'm not crazy about either guy's upside, but I think that he's got, I think he's right there with Johnson in terms of overall upside for the next level. So, uh, all right, so that's your one play takeaway from that game. Let's now fast forward uh, to this week. Michigan State, Arizona State is where you're heading. Uh, I know that the big name that a lot of people are excited about is Brian Lewerke, the quarterback from Michigan State. I know you're excited to see him uh, throw in person out in the desert this week. But really the big thing that you're excited about is the two receivers. you got Felton Davis from Michigan State and then Nikhil Harry from Arizona State. Harry had some uh, ridiculous plays last week against UTSA. What are you expecting from these two guys? Yeah, both uh, NFL prospects for sure. Nikhil Harry, 6'4", 215. I was able to see him last year down in the desert where they knocked off number 5 Washington. That's right. I forgot you were there at that game. And similar uh, kind of plays that we saw last week as they beat UTSA. Screen passes, get the ball in his hands. He's a yak and yards after catch freak show. We saw in the highlights from this past week going around the internet and Sports Center highlights. But I went back and watched that Washington game that we were at. And they even put him at Wildcat quarterback a few mm. plays. So they definitely have an intent where they just want to get the ball in his hands. Last week, UT- UTSA, six catches, 140 yards, two touchdowns. He's explosive. He's big. He's strong. He's got huge hands. After the catch, nightmare. He really needs to improve his releases and setting up cornerbacks rather than relying on his physicality and just trying to outmuscle everybody at the top of his routes and in a stem. But he's very sudden for his size. I wrote down a couple names of height and weight comps that I think he's also going to test similarly. Kevin White, who is 6'3", 215, ran 4'3", 5". Top five pick. Exactly. Kenny Britt, 6'3", 218, ran a 4'4", 7". Top 40 pick. Also, I wrote down Michael Floyd, Alshon Jeffrey, those top 40 bigger. Picks. Yep. Exactly. Upright, strong receivers that win with more of a physical presence than a speedy presence. But they are athletic. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and then Felton Davis as well from the yeah, other side. Yeah, exactly. A little bit of a different player, Felton Davis. Okay. Last week. Because he's a big kid too, right? I haven't studied D- Davis yet. He is, but he's much slighter. He's 6'4 okay. as well like Harry, but about 30 pounds lighter. He's All only right. about 190, 195, so right. he's very so, slight. I need, so the, some, I need some juice here. So then. what you see on tape is exactly that. He gets knocked off his routes quite a bit, yeah. gets bumped on his stem, struggles to get off press. And the odd thing enough, he's made some impressive contested catches, especially in the red zone. But he has very inconsistent hands. Hmm. So you'll have a play that wows you, and he may high point a ball over two defenders and then drop a gimme play on a screen. So there's a little bit more to be desired in the consistency, but he had a good debut last week, three catches, 69 yards, and a touchdown as they squeaked one out. So it'd be interesting to see uh, you know, where his season goes with Lewerke and if they can develop a connection. So you and I are both high on, uh, and rel- you know, relatively speaking, on Michigan State running back L.J. Scott, who's a senior He's had some off-field stuff in his past over the course of his career with the Spartans, but big back, good vision. I like his patience, his ability to play off blocks. Or What have you seen from him over the last couple of years? Yeah, LJ Sky is a senior. He came back for his senior year. Probably could have gone to the NFL last yeah, year in, in a very deep running back class. I think he made a right choice as well as the off-field issues. They aren't as malicious, the off-field stuff. He, you know, It's nothing violent, nothing assault, drug-related, mm-hmm. domestic violence. He just keeps driving without a license. He keeps getting arrested from campus security. I think it's seven times now for driving without a license. Uh, this is going to be my fourth game I've seen of him. I saw two games wow. as a freshman in 2015, Air Force in Nebraska, and then last year at Indiana. And I went back and watched that Indiana tape, and we saw a lot of the same things from freshman year. He just runs. He's downhill. He's got good vision, jump cuts. And the one trait I love from running backs is keeping your shoulders square to the line of scrimmage. Yep. 
and running to butts is how some running backs coach like to call it. He sets up blocks very well, follows blockers, knows how to set up defenders. Not too involved in the pass game. They'll throw him some screen passes. He's pretty good in the open field. He's got decent contact balance. We wonder what his breakaway speed is. Yeah, that's a question. He's a little bit heavy-footed. He's not a great start-and-stop guy. He can jump cut. He's got good vision, Mm. but he's a little clunky in his movements. He's not too agile, but he makes up for it with his physicality. He likes to finish runs and fall forward, and I love those straights. So one matchup I'm excited to watch, uh, USC-Stanford. Bryce Love, the obviously Heisman candidate, very uninspiring performance last week against San Diego State. I think he was held to 1.6 yards per carry. So uh, hoping that he's going to be able to bounce back against USC. They've got a couple linebackers there that, I, that are on my radar. Cameron Smith is the senior, kind of a throwback. He's 6'2", he's over 250 pounds, he's instinctive, he's a ferocious tackler, big, strong kid at the point of attack. I think both of these guys kind of play to each other's strengths and weaknesses. The question about Cameron Smith is, can he play in space? The question about uh, Bryce Love is, can he play between the tackles of the NFL level? I'm excited to see if both of those guys, how they're able to shine in this rivalry game. You know, it's unfortunate with the injuries of Cam Smith throughout his career as well, but I feel like Cam Smith is that type of linebacker. If he was coming out 10 years ago, Oh yeah, he would be fit for the NFL. Yeah, he's a little bit more first-round pick. Yep. Yeah, he's a heavier linebacker. He's pushing 240, 250. He's more of a downhill guy. And the NFL scouts want to know: Can he turn and run in coverage? Can he play sideline to sideline? Everybody wants that spark plug safety converted to linebacker that can run as athletic. Smith is more that run plugger downhill, what we're now calling an old-school NFL linebacker. So I'll dive deep into that matchup, among others, in this week's Saturday Scouting article, which you can find at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or on my Twitter feed, at FDuffy3. Ben, we'll be back next week to recap all of this. Great stuff, as always. Again, go check out Ben on Twitter, at Ben Fennel, two N's, two L's, underscore NFL. All right, let's wrap this podcast up with some Q&A. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, so this week in Draft Mailbag, we're going to start on Twitter with uh, Mr. McGiblets, ESQ, the LSU guard, Garrett Brumfield. I I almost brought him up to Ben, honestly, Mr. McGiblets, because uh, I'm a big fan of this kid, and I'm glad you brought him up. Could he fit into the Eagles' blocking schemes? That's the question. There's a lot to like here. Only his second year as a starter, he's strong. He can get some movement in the run game. He's smart. He's tough. He's got huge hands and good length for an interior guy. I gave him a starting grade. The questions are, is he athletic, especially to be on this Eagles O-line? That's a question I would have. Can he do more than just play guard? Because we know how big versatility is for this coaching staff, especially if you're going to be a backup from what I've watched so far, though, this kid looks like a day-two kind of pick. I think he's going to be in that second, third-round range. We'll see uh, if the Eagles st- coaching staff be- feels like he could be in this group. I think that he could fit. Uh, it will be interesting, though, because I-, I really like Garrett Brumfield. Uh, one last question from Twitter. At Raider Bionic on Twitter, reached out to ask about the best press corners on my list to watch in college football, I'm assuming with an eye towards the Oakland Raiders. Early on, Bionic, I would say this senior group isn't looking great. Nationally, the biggest draft eligible aim is certainly uh, Greedy Williams from LSU. Ben talked about him earlier. This kid has all the traits physically to be a shutdown press corner in the NFL down the road. Outstanding wingspan. He's a height, weight, speed guy. I'd like to see him get more consistent finding the ball downfield, and he could be a little bit better in the run game. But overall, the traits are really, really intriguing with Greedy Williams. Of the other guys I've watched in terms of players I like in press situations – 
I'd say Miami corner Michael Jackson fits the bill. Big kid, instinctive, solid ball skills. Want to know how fast he is, but he's my favorite senior corner right now. Uh, DeAndre Baker from Georgia is another guy I would put right in that same realm. He's a bit smaller, but he's disciplined in press. He's a smart, instinctive player. Better speed than Jackson, but overall I do like DeAndre Baker. I like Jackson a little bit more overall. Uh, Derek Beatty from Kentucky is another senior. He's long, lanky, over six foot two. He's quick for his size, though. He's got long speed. That's the question is how explosive is he? Does he have the ability to keep pace with receivers, but he's got that size, that length. I would throw his teammate Lonnie Johnson in there as well. He's another six foot two corner with developmental traits. Uh, Jamal Peters from Mississippi State is a height, weight, speed prospect. Intriguing traits. Looks the part, but his eye discipline worried me a year ago. I'm excited to watch another year's worth of film on this kid because uh, I think he's got traits to work with. He's just got to put it all together. Amon Marshall from USC is a big name going up against Stanford this week. He's in his fourth year now as a starter for the Trojans. Speed is a bit of a concern, though. Some may view him as a safety at the next level, so that's the thing to watch with Biggie Marshall. Other big names of corners that I haven't studied yet, Ken Webster from Ole Miss, uh, Blazwan Austin from Rutgers, Elijah Holder from Stanford, and then Amani Oruwarie from Penn State. He's the one who got that big interception in over overtime in the red zone against Appalachian State this past weekend. I know a lot of people are high on him as well. I would throw in Isaiah Johnson from from Houston as well. His defensive coordinator, Mark D'Onofrio, was on the show a couple of weeks ago to break him down as well as his teammate. You may have heard of him, Ed Oliver, the star defensive tackle for the Cougars. So I uh, hope those are enough names. Hope to get you started there. So good questions from McGiblets and Raider Bionic. And if you ever have any questions for the show, feel free. Hit me up on Twitter at FDuffy3 or head over to one of our podcast channels Give us a rating. Leave the question in the comment section. That is the fastest way to make it on the show. Appreciate the support as always. So great stuff this week from Tony Pauline, Ben Fennell, Ben Solak, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or any of our podcast platforms. Thank you for listening, as always, to the Journey to the Draft podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.